0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Welcome to the Tuesday live stream. Today we are dealing with the Passion Translation. Specifically, let me give you exactly what you can expect. We're going to deal with the origins of the Passion Translation, and we're going to be dealing with um, the specific agenda that's in it, because this translation, uh, it it pains me to say this, because I don't like looking for these types of things, but sometimes they need to be sought out and dealt with, and this is one of those situations. Um, The Passion Translation, as I've shared in a previous video, has an agenda behind it, and the agenda is to push specific types of doctrines and teachings that come from the um, from the Signs and Wonders, the Extreme Signs and Wonders movement. Some people call it the NAR. I I don't usually use that term, although I will be using it today, and you'll see why in a moment. I was able to actually do an interview with one of Brian Simmons' co-workers, a former co-worker of his, in preparation for this stream. So I got to talk to someone who worked with him in the past and get some clarity on the actual history behind Brian Simmons and his training to do this translation. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, and if, uh, if you have any, uh, questions, you can put those in the live stream, uh, chat and AJ will, will put those questions in a, in a document, basically sending those to me at the end of the stream. I will do Q and a, but I'm going to front load all the important content because I want this stream to be fruitful to people like for a year, two, three, five years from now, I want them to be able to have the information they need. And here, let me just jump straight into it. This is the information I'm talking about, um, right here, this chart that I'm showing you. Okay, let me explain this. What I did was I compared um, the Passion Translation's usage of certain terms that are sort of hot-button terms in the, in the extreme Signs and Wonders movement. Now, I, I believe in Signs and Wonders. I'm charismatic, but I'm not part of this group. Um, and I... And these words and these terms are important in this group. And I think what Brian did, here's my theory. Brian has embedded these terms into the text of the Passion Translation. And uh, someone let me know, hey, Mike, you can actually use, um, I think it was, uh, oh, it was one of the Bible websites. I forget right now which one it was. But you can use it to actually search the text of the, the Passion Translation. So I did it. Here's what I came up with. Here's a list of terms which the Passion Translation uses more than any other translation I could find. I've compared it to four other translations My first example to you is this, in case anyone's listening on the podcast uh, and you don't get to see this visual, um, those on YouTube, you get to watch it, but uh, on the podcast, on the Bible Thinker podcast, so you you can hear what everyone else is seeing, I'll read it to you. The first word is the word realm, the word realm. Now, the word realm does not appear in the ESV translation anywhere. It's a highly respected translation. It does not appear in the New King James. The NIV has it 10 times, the word realm. The NASB has it once. The Passion Translation has it 196 times, the word realm. 196. And let me say this, this entire chart is all just based on the New Testament only, because the Passion Translation has not yet got all of the Old Testament, so I'm not going to compare those. The word um, realm, how how you might ask, how exactly is it being used? Well, here's an example from the Passion Translation. Psalm 50, verse 2. The passion says, God's glory light shines out of the Zion realm with the radiance of perfect beauty. Now, in a normal translation, it'll read more like this out of the ESV. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Now, Zion is a location. We're talking about Jerusalem. That's what—that's where Zion is. It's a place. It's nothing else, right? It's, it's, a, it's an actual place. But Brian thoroughly allegorizes. In fact, he says his whole interpretation of Revelation is all allegory. Um, and he allegorizes the Song of Solomon to make it about something different. And he allegorizes other things. And he does it in his translation so that he's not just interpreting it for you. He's changing the text to fit with his allegory. Now he calls it a Zion realm. Now it, now it works well when he's preaching. Um, this particular signs and wonders kind of preaching. Also, we have Psalm 81 7, which in the Passion is very long. Very, very long. Much longer than it ought to be. And it says, You called out to me in your time of trouble and I rescued you. I came down from the realm of the secret place of thunder where mysteries hide. I came down to save you. I tested your hearts at the place where there was no water to drink. The place of your bitter argument with me. Pause in his presence. Did, now, you caught all that, right? But here's here's it in a normal translation. Psalm eighty-one seven, the ESV says, In distress you called... I delivered, and I delivered you, I answered you in the secret place of thunder, I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Salah. It is like twice as long or more in the Passion Translation, and it takes um, this this concept of mis- where mysteries hide, and um, just anyway, you get all of this sort of extra content, this 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 enhancement, and this the phrase, pause in his presence, comes from the term salah, which I don't know anybody who thinks it means pause in his presence. There is a debate on what it means. Um, let me give you another example now. Back to the chart. Other uh, word prophetic is used many more times. It's used four times in the ESV, three in the New King James, twice in the NIV, three times in the NASB, 28 times prophetic is used in the Passion Translation. And specifically in the book of Psalms, he talks about prophetic singing, literally prophetic singing. Let me, um, let me give you, I think I have that. Hmm, maybe I didn't, no, I didn't write that one down. In uh, Psalms, it's like 42 through 49. He adds the phrase prophetic singing into the description of the psalm. There's no word in the Hebrew that he's getting this from. In fact, all the words that are translated in those psalms are in other psalms, and he doesn't translate it that way, right? He only does it in Psalms 42 through 49, calls it prophetic singing. In Colossians 3.16, he talks about prophetic songs. And this is because this terminology is part of this movement, um, whether you call it the nAR or something else um, now then the term anointed I'll give you a specific example of this one because this this finding this is what made me decide to do a second video on the passion translation exposing the specific agendas behind it because it it does have specific agendas if I can I want to be as gracious as possible but this is just a factual statement here Brian Simmons is changing the Bible intentionally and unjustifiably in order to fit with his skewed sect that he is part of, and he's piping it out to the world, um, one book at a time at $15 a book, he's piping it out to the world, um, and it's not okay. And so more more people need to know this. So the word anointed, in the Passion Translation, is used 223 times, that's like over 10 times more than in any other translation I was able to find, the word anointed right? So the ESV has it only 15 times, the NIV 10 times. Well, here's some examples of where he adds the word anointed because this, I think, really matters. Um, Okay, now here's here's an example of of how normal translations work, right? You have a word like in the Greek, the word Christos, which means Christ. We just translate it every time we come across that word. We translate it the same way. Christos means Christ. It's a noun. I'm just going to translate it Christ every time. Okay, so here's Colossians 1 doing exactly that with the ESV version. This is an example of good translating. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So there's just consistent translating. But Brian likes to change up how he translates Christ. Sometimes he translates it as Christ. Sometimes it's Messiah, which is the, the Hebrew version of that. Sometimes he translates it as anointed one. In fact, most frequently, it's anointed one. Here's an example of the same passage in the Passion Translation. He says, My name is Paul, and I've been chosen by Jesus Christ to be his apostle. So there's Christ the first time. By calling and destined purpose of God, my colleague Timothy and I send this letter to all the holy believers who have been united to Jesus as beloved followers of the Messiah. Right, now it's Messiah. And where is he translating it from? I don't know. It's only two times in the ESV. It should only show up twice here, but he double and triple translates things. I'll come to that in a minute. May God, our true father, release upon your lives the riches of his kind favor and heavenly peace through the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Notice that it's over twice as long and you get Christ, Messiah, and anointed one all from the same word, which should just be translated consistently. So I started wondering why translate Jesus as anointed one because the word Messiah means more than anointed one. Why, why take it to its etymological definition? That doesn't make sense. So I started looking into the passion more and how they used anointed one. And then I came across this gem. In the Passion Translation of Acts chapter 11 verse 26, it says, Together, Saul and Barnabas ministered there for a full year. This is at Antioch, equipping the growing church and teaching a vast the vast number of new converts, it was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first revealed as anointed ones. Now, in the Passion, it's very clear. There's, there, there's a spiritual revelation that the followers of Jesus are anointed ones. Okay, so Jesus is called anointed one throughout the Passion, and now we're going to call you anointed one. You're, it's revealed by God, you're an anointed one. But every other translation just translates this, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch because that's what it actually is. The, you see, the, the people in Antioch were making fun of Christians. They called them little Christs, little, little Christs, because they believed in Christ and they're trying to copy Christ, so they called them little Christs as an insult. Years later, this became just the normal name for Christians. It's like in the this, in this 80s or whatever it was or 70s, people were calling Christians Jesus freaks. Oh, you're a Jesus freak. So some Christians were like, fine, I'm a Jesus freak. And they just accepted, accepted the whole idea. That's what happened with Christians, the term Christians. But in the Passion, he first translates Jesus as a Messiah, as anointed one over and over again. Then, or Christos actually, and then when it comes to this phrase in Acts, he reveals to you that you and me are anointed ones. Well, what's the difference between me and Jesus? Well, this, what is this doing? This is setting up weird Christology that Brian Simmons actually teaches. So let me play for you a clip where he actually talks about how your identity and Jesus' identity are basically muddied to the point where, um, well, this is just bad theology. Listen in.
1: That is your identity. You are wrapped into Jesus Christ. All that he is, you now are. Everything that's true about Jesus can be spoken about you because you are in him.
0: I'm sorry, I just realized how loud that was. (laughs) I apologize if I blew your ears out. Um, I'll try to monitor that. So everything that's true about Jesus can be spoken about you. So everything that's true, Jesus is eternally existent, self-existent and part of the Trinity. Is that true about me? That's insane. Now you might say, Mike, you're taking him out of context. Actually, this is a clip from his Facebook page, like where he takes his own phrase out of context, wherever he delivered this message and he delivers it. I just want you to know this part and this is the part he gives us. Why? Well, because it's been revealed that you're anointed ones. Like this is his his theology getting into the text of scripture, uh, unjustified in the text. So I checked with several other translations. You can see them on the screen. Um, and they all consistently translate this, that that uh, it was in Antioch. They were just called Christians, not that we are now anointed ones. Now you might call me anointed in some sense. But when you do what he's doing in his translation, you're setting up false theology. And uh, is that a problem? Oh, yes. This is a very, this is a real problem. Um, Activate. There's another word, activate. It's never found in any of the translations I consulted. Zero times. ESV, New King James, NIV, NASB, none. But in the Passion Translation, the word activate is used multiple times. Here's an example. Um, In the Passion Translation, it says in Romans 12, 6, that if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of faith you have to prophesy. You have to activate your gift. Now, you could even if you don't know Greek, you could look into Romans 12, 6 and other translations and see there's nothing justifying the phrase activate your gift. It just says to prophesy in proportion to your faith. Why does he use the, way, the word activate here? Why does he add it six times? Well, because that's his theology. Here's another clip from Brian Simmons because he likes to preach from his own translation with the theology that he's putting, the new teaching he's putting in scripture. I don't know what else to call this. I, this is, this is bad. This looks bad, sounds bad, because it is bad. So here's the clip. I I hope it doesn't blow your ears off. Uh, I'm not sure if I balanced the the audio properly on it. So prepare (laughs) yourselves.
1: Every member of the body of Christ must be activated. Everyone in this room is valuable. Every one of you have gifts. And every one of you must leave this course, when we finish a few years from now or a few hours from now, That you leave this place activated to be enriched and to give others what you've been given.
0: Okay, so follow the logic here. I change the Bible so it says you have to activate your gifts. Then I start hosting courses that you can pay money to be part of where you can get your, your gifts activated. Think about that. The next one on the list, expression, the concept of expression uh, is used 18 times. Jesus is called the living expression instead of just calling him the word. Um, the word promise is used many times. The word impart is used many, many extra times. Now, these are these are important terms in this signs and wonders movement. If you've been part of it, you recognize these terms. You might you might even know better than I what terms to look for uh, on, I think it was Bible Hub, now that I think about it. I think it was Bible Hub was the website that I was looking at this stuff on. Um, The word secret is used many extra times, over double the number of times. Notice something as you look at this chart. um, The ESV, New King James, NIV, NASB. They generally translate each of these words a similar number of times. It's usually within a few digits of each other, right? They're not, not like 800 times more or something like that. But the Passion Translation in every case translates these terms way, way more. Way, way more than any of these other translations do. So here we have you know, if if nothing else, you don't know Greek, fine, you know this. This translation is not like other translations. This is very, very different. When it comes to the word religious and religion, we find he adds the word religious many extra times, adds the word religion also extra times, and he, I I think, has a specific agenda as to why. I think Brian Simmons is anti-religion, as many people are nowadays. So let me expose to you where two things are going on. One is He's taking his, his modern colloquial version of Christianity and sticking it into the text, but also where he is, um, intentionally not translating right. And I can show you this. He's purposely translating wrong because he wants to vilify the concept of religion as many people do. So before I show you that, let me just unpack this issue slightly. Um, some people say, I don't I'm a Christian, but I'm not religious. Um, I will just say that's not what the word religious means. Like you, you pray, you worship God, you read the Bible, you fellowship. You're religious. Like that's that's religion. Like this is religion, and the Bible's consistent with this too. If you think Christianity's not a religion, you're confused. Now I get it. We get a lot of mileage. Well, I don't, but some people get a lot of mileage out of the phrase Christianity's not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, these two aren't opposite things. You know, it could be a religion with a relationship and that's what it is, right? Christianity's the 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 thing that makes Christianity different from every other religion is that it's true. That's the difference. It's true, and it really does unite you to God when you come through Jesus Christ to know him, but it's still a religion. We have beliefs about God, beliefs about people. We have a religious view of things, and I am religious in that literal sense, but uh, Brian is gonna is, is gonna play off that concept where people go, Well, I don't like I'm not religious, because they feel like it's useful. Well, it's just useful but wrong-headed. It's not true. So, here's what he does. For one, he takes the concept of religion and religious, and he changes the term Sadducees in the Bible and he retranslates it as religious scholars. So here's Mark 1238 in the Passion. It says, Jesus also taught the people beware of the religious scholars. Beware the religious scholars. In Matthew 23, 13, it says, Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and you Pharisees. I think this is the verse that's going to get quoted to me for making this video. Like, Mike, you're such a Pharisee. Why are you, oh, religious scholars like Mike Winger, who want to think that they can tell us what the Bible should and shouldn't say. Can't you let the Spirit speak through Brian? This is exactly what they'll quote back to me. I think Brian is setting up basically a a catch-all phrase where he could come and, and say, ah, you scholars who don't like the Passion Translation, you who attack this, they're just being, beware the religious scholars, guys. They want to act like they know stuff. Um, yeah, but that's only part of it. Because when it comes to the other places, you remember in the chart, or I'll bring you the chart again. Look, there's places where they do translate the word religious or religion. You know, the Passion has 141 times it says religious. Well, ESV has two. You know, the Passion has 14 times it says religion. ESV has five. But there's one place where most every Bible will have the word religion. And that place is in James chapter 1. So in James chapter 1, that's also the one place where Brian decides that he's going to not translate it as religion. So here it is. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 in the Passion translation. Notice this. He doesn't want to use the word religion in any positive sense. He wants to vilify religion so that... he can use that as a tool against people. Um, and then James one twenty six it says, if someone believes that they have a relationship with God, catch that phrase, relationship with God. What's that word? That That's a word that he will later translate as religion <laughs> and then later translate as spirituality. Um, so if someone believes they have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty because you can only use the word religion in a negative context. So there it is, the word religion. True spirit spirituality, that should say religion, uh, that is pure in the eyes of our Father God, is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows and their troubles, and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. Okay, so th- that that's in that translation, but but take a look at how this is used. Th- these words: relationship with God, religion, and spirituality. Those are three phrases that, in every other translation, are translated consistently. And every I mean, every translation I checked I don't know was probably at least a dozen. Maybe 15 translations I checked. Here's an example. Here's the NRSV. If you think you're religious, he calls it spiritual. Or if you think you have a relationship with God, they translate it religious. The same word later translated religion. Another offshoot of the same word, same root word, religion. They translate it consistently. In the NIV, religious, right? Religion, right? Religion. Translated consistently. In the NASB, religious, religious. Religion, religion, because you translate the same word in the same context, in the same ways, generally speaking. Then the ESV, religious, religion, religion, and every translation I checked, which was quite a few, I got the same thing. However they translate the first time they see this word is the way they translate it later. But the problem here is verse 27 makes it sound like there's such a thing as pure religion, like religion that honors God and glorifies God which there is, that's called Christianity, you know, (laughs) but he doesn't like religion. So that, that gets eliminated. That's part of his thing. Let's read on and stick with me because I'm going to give you information I got, uh, from an interview with one of Brian's coworkers, uh, when he was supposedly translating the Bible in the past. And I think it was very, um, revealing. So stick, stick with me for that. You're going to want to hear what, what, uh, what his coworker had to say. Um, so also let's see. Uh, revelation, the word revelation is used almost 10 times more often in the Passion Translation. The word passion, of course, of course the word passion is used. It's used in the Passion Translation 95 more times than it is used in the NASB. Does that not mean anything to you? Um, it's only used 10 times in the NASB. The word miracle is used far far more often. The word freedom, the word free, spiritual, supernatural, The word supernatural doesn't show up in any of those translations anywhere, the four I'm mentioning, but in the passion, 37 times it pops up. Empower comes 40 different times in the passion. And to add all these totals together, what you get is that Brian Simmons is actually translating these words over three times more often, 300% more in the passion translation than in the NASV, excuse me, ESV overall. 300% more, Uh, that's that's pretty significant because these are all hot button terms for his particular sect. So it's a sectarian translation. Now, what I think is happening when you look at the Bible in the passion translation is you it's, it's like you're looking at a fun house mirror, you know, those mirrors where they're curved and you look at yourself and you have this exaggerated version where some things are shrunken down and other things are enlarged. And that's what you get in the passion translation. This is why you should not read this Bible at all for any reason you will get a distorted version of the Bible where some things are blown out of proportion and others are shrunk down. You're going to get a skewed version of God. I predict if you read this Passion Translation or have for any length of time, it has muddied your ability to think clearly about God because that's exactly what it does when I read it. It's, it's not healthy. It's not good. Now, let's talk about the second issue I wanted to deal with today. Um... Oh, oh! Uh, well, I have a cl- I have a clip. I'll, I want to share this clip with you before we get into that. Brian's qualifications for translating. Before we get to that, and his storytelling, where I tried to double check some of his stories, and it did not appear to be true. Um, but first, I want to show you how he uses this passion translation. Remember, he adds the word release. Let's see. The word release comes up. Um. Oh, I should have done it more. Okay. Well, I didn't. I didn't put it on the chart. But the word release comes up in his. The calling
1: of fivefold ministry is to release the sheep, who let the sheep out, and release them into their ministry. If you are not releasing people to ministry, you're not functioning in your grace gift.
0: Those terms, releasing people to ministry, fivefold ministry, grace gift, all that stuff is foreign to you if you're just a normal Christian who reads the Bible, but none of those things are foreign to you if you're part of his little sect group and they get their way into his text and then he can preach from it, and they can preach from it. This is why guys like Bill Johnson endorse the Passion Translation. Um, Bill Johnson, uh, let's see, I have that right here. He says, can can you see me? Hi, guys. Uh, One of the greatest things to happen with the Bible translation in my lifetime, Bill Johnson. The Passion Translation is one of the best things to happen in his lifetime. That's a problem. Why? 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 Why would Bill love it if, if, if he's a, a guy that really knows the word and cares about accurately teaching the Bible? Why would he endorse? Why would anybody endorse this translation? Well, the endorsers are generally speaking people who are part of the same movement. They're this sectarian, NAR. Some would call him NAR. I don't know if I would call Bill Johnson NAR or not, but definitely Brian is, which I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so they they, they like to do these things now. Let's talk about Brian's educational background. When you try to, you know, verify, and someone asked me to do this, uh, hey, Mike, look into his his background. Is he qualified to translate the Bible in the first place? Well, when you look at his bio on Broad Street Publishing, which is the people who publish the translation, it says that Brian was involved in the Paiakuna New Testament Translation Project, and he studied linguistics and Bible translation principles with New Tribes Mission. So it seems like okay, Brian has studied how to translate the Bible with New Tribes Mission, which is a known Bible translating like group. They do this sort of thing. And he and he did this with the Payakuna New Testament. On his bio for the, uh, on passionandfire.com, one of his websites, and this is what it says there. It says that while he was there in, in the Payakuna village, he says, I was involved as a linguist in the translation project of the New Testament into the Payakuna language. Okay, so he's obviously, if nothing else, he's instrumental in, in the translating. On the passiontranslation.com the official website for the Passion Translation, here's what it says about Brian Simmons. It says, Dr. Brian Simmons, notice doctor, they're calling him doctor in the context of all this, is the lead translator for the Passion Translation. His background in translating the Bible originated as a co-translator for the Kuna New Testament with New Tribes Mission, providing the unreached Kuna people group of Panama with a copy of God's word for the first time. Since then, he has leveraged this linguistic and biblical languages background. Remember that phrase? That he's leveraging his quote, linguistic and biblical languages background to translate the entire New Testament and four books of the Old Testament into modern English. So, if I was to summarize, like what have I learned so far? I've learned that look, the guy's got training in translating. The guy's Already helped translate the Paiakuna. He was a co-translator, so he was instrumental in translating the Bible already, and so now he's just doing another English translation. So that that's what I've learned. In fact, you know, he's got this biblical languages background and linguistics and all this stuff. It sounds very impressive. Um, but but and there's a big there's a big but in all this. Um, no pun intended. Uh, in 2003 to 2007. He went to the Wagner Leadership Institute. This is where his doctorate came from. My first question is, he's a doctor, doctor of what, right? There's lots of different ways to be a doctor. Um, Some people just play one on TV. Um, But in uh, 2003 to 2007, he went to the Wagner Leadership Institute. And this is when my red flag went up because I thought, Wagner, that's C. Peter Wagner. That's the guy that actually coined the term New Apostolic (laughs) Reformation and started trying to get the ball rolling to create the N.A.R., he got his doctorate from an NAR school, quite literally. Um, his doctorate, though, is in practical ministry with a focus on prayer. What does that even mean? Practical ministry with a focus on prayer? Like if I write a dissertation on prayer, is that, am I a doctor? Do I have a doctorate? I don't know. I don't know what, what, what education he really got, what... I don't know how, if if he really legitimately should even be called a doctor, certainly not in the context of relating to his translating abilities, because his doctorate has nothing to do with anything related to translation, so it's not his doctorate, right? Um, But what other education does he have? Because he only mentions one other thing, and he mentions it all the time. I've listened to several interviews from Brian Simmons, and he says that he used to go and be with and live with the Payakuna people, and he helped translate At first, I thought he was the sole translator of the New Testament for them. Later, I listened to more content, realized he said he was a co-translator, and this was from 1973 to 1978, according to his bios online. He was with the New Tribes Bible and Linguistic Institute. This group now calls themselves Ethnos 360, and this group is the people I was actually able to talk to, to one of his former co-workers, Jerry McDaniels, who is with Ethnos 360, formerly New Tribes. So we're going to talk about that. Um, but bottom line is this. I'll, I'll give a spoiler alert right now. He is not trained to be a translator. He is not trained in the biblical languages. And that phrase, let me bring it up again. Here is from the actual official website for the Passion Translation. And it says he leveraged his linguistic and biblical languages background to translate the New Testament and, and four other books. Um, here is what he actually said when I heard him on an actual radio interview uh, or some, some program interview. It's online and he was asked what training specifically in the biblical languages have you had listen to his answer because it's not what you'd expect based on all those bios and all those claims listen as soon as I can find it in my notes (laughs) Um, hmm. it's not that this is where it's like yes I'm definitely a solo act okay we did that we did that <laughs> ah there it is his qualifications all right sorry for the delay here it is
2: when you when you started this project um, were you had you already had training in Greek and Hebrew or was this something that you had to jump into again or I had minimal background in biblical languages so yeah it was something that honestly something the Lord has really helped me with. Okay,
0: great. Um, minimal. He says he had minimal background and it was something the Lord had to help him with. And the answer is great because he's, when Brian's in an environment, I've seen many of his, his clips, you know, when, he, when he's in an environment where he, he has a, uh, a flexible audience who will bend to what he says, he reveals more. Um, and he, these are the signs of a storyteller. These are the signs of someone who's not being honest about things, Right. Like your bio says you have a biblical languages background that you used to translate, so i 'm relying on that this this ethnos three sixty training now don't don't knock ethnos three sixty This is not about them. This is about Brian and his claims, not them. In fact, ethnos three sixty is has come out with a statement distancing themselves from the passion translation because he keeps making these claims as though they trained him to do it, and they're like, no, we didn't so when i got a hold of his former coworker um I found out that this was this was not the case. That he had not been he had not been trained in translating at all. Um, but but let, let's compare, shall we? Let's compare his storytelling because this is the thing that really got me. I don't think Brian's I don't think he's honest, and I think that I can show that to you today. So look at some of the claims he makes on Sid Roth Sid Roth's radio program and listen to these claims. And I've actually written them out for you, but listen to the claims, because then I'm gonna come back right after this clip and I'm gonna double check those claims. And we'll see if the picture he paints is accurate about his own history and ability to translate.
1: For a Central American tribe, you actually uh, worked for Wycliffe Bible translators and produced uh, for the first time in history, a Bible in their language.
2: Yes, uh, I, it was with New Tribes Mission, along with the Wycliffe Bible Translators, and yes, I, I always want to, to make it clear that I was a co-translator. It takes such a team to bring the scriptures into a tribal language, and I'm so thankful for the South African friend that was there uh, in a nearby village that could work with us to translate.
1: Now, what difference did it make when they got the scriptures in their own language?
2: Oh, my. You know, Sid, they had never read anything in their life. So we not only had to give them the scriptures, we had to teach them literacy so that they could read their own language. It had been an unspoken, or an unwritten language, I should say, until we got there. And we finalized the the book of Luke, the book of Romans. What a joy to hand them a completed New Testament.
1: And what kind of fruit have you seen as a result of that?
2: Well... Our missionaries had been kidnapped and killed right after our departure from the village. uh, Colombian drug cartel came in with automatic weapons, kidnapped the remaining missionaries, and uh, shot them in the jungle. Bodies were never found.
0: Okay, the reason why I played that whole clip is so that you can catch a few things. Let me just recap for you. And and those, you know, you're watching this online, you can just back up and listen to it again if you if you didn't catch this. He says he was a co-translator. He doesn't take all the credit, but it seems clear, at least normal people watching the interview were like, obviously, he was central. He was somehow essential in the translating, right? He was enough where he can claim some version of credit to be a co-translator. Two. The New Testament was finished while Brian was still involved, right? He had the pleasure of handing them the New Testament in their own language. The quote he said was, what a joy to hand them a completed New Testament. That's what Brian says. Then at the end, he talks about this a terrible tragedy, true story, where the missionaries were killed and he says it happened right after their departure. Where these, these Paiakuna missionaries, uh, the Kuna missionaries that, that went out? They were kidnapped in January of 1993. I actually, looked this all up and confirmed it historically, right? So in ni- in 1993, January is when they they uh, were, were were kidnapped and then later killed. And that means that he was out of there moments before them because he says missionaries were killed right after our departure. So maybe late '92 he left, December, September of '92. So I decided to try to double-check all these claims in his bio and his claims in his interviews, and I was able to get a hold of um, a really nice gentleman named Jerry McDaniels. Now, let me say this before I say anything else. Jerry McDaniels, um, it grieved him to have to do this. He, he, he has no axe to grind against Brian, and he didn't want to come across in any negative way, but he thought he should share what, what facts he had. And so Jerry McDaniels has worked with the Payakuna people for over three decades Okay, he's worked with the Kuna for over three decades. Uh, The whole time from them getting their New Testament to finally years later, just recently getting their Old Testament in like 2014, they finally got the Old Testament. Um, And I asked him a few questions. I asked him a few questions. For one, was Brian there right up until just before those missionaries were killed? And uh, Jerry McDonnell says, no, Brian had left years. It was years before 1993. It was years before the missionaries were killed. But Brian... Wanting to enhance his story makes it sound to the unsuspecting people who believe him that he was up there right up to the last minute because it makes him more of like a hero or something like that. But then it got, the conversation got worse. Because when I asked Jerry, um, what did Brian do when it came to translating the Bible? He says, Brian wasn't a Bible translator. That wasn't his job with the Kuna people. He was not there to translate the Bible. He was a church planter. That's what Jerry McDaniels said. Jerry, who worked with him, says he was a co-worker of Brian's. um, Says that Brian's claimed about when he left, that that's not accurate. And he says that the most Brian did, the two things Brian did related in any sense to the Kuna translation, is he was a checker, of which there were many checkers. But what they did, they're not part of the official translating team, but what they did was they would take the Bible after someone already translated it into the language, Paya Kuna. They would bring it to the people, And they would read to them that translation and see how it lands. Then they would report back. Did they understand it? How did they feel about it? Did it make sense to them? That was it. They were a checker. This is a person living in the village who would, according to uh, Jerry, it would sit with someone, read it, make sure it sounds natural. Other than that, he thought it was possible that Brian might have done some work on Genesis, some work on Genesis. But then Genesis, the, the Old Testament, wasn't until just a few years ago, 2014. So we're talking whatever work if he worked on a book, that book never got published until very recently, and obviously someone else did the majority of the work and finished it. Um again, the Ethnos 360 has distanced themselves and they've actually written a statement. I'm gonna get a hold of this statement hopefully tomorrow. Jerry's gonna to send it to me. And I'm gonna actually uh I'll, I'll make a short video where I just put that up on my YouTube channel. So you could be you could search, you know, like Ethnos 360 or New Tribes statement about Brian Simmons. I'll put that up online once I get it. Um But, but Jerry, we just says, and I'll give you some quotes from him. He says, when Brian arrived to the Paiakuna, quote, there was already a Wycliffe missionary in country already actively working on a translation. And it wasn't Brian. He says, quote, Brian was a church planter and quote, nobody in our mission would ever say that he's a Bible translator or ever was approved as a Bible translator. This is the guy who's translating, you know, that's why it makes sense, right? On the bio, it's got like, he leverages his Bible background from the, and then over when he's in an interview, he goes, I had very little background and I had to rely on the Holy Spirit because he's trying to stretch the story to sort of fit whatever scenario he's in. My thought is this, if you can't trust his stories, you can't trust his visions. Think about this. If you think the passion is inspired of God because Brian, like God's re-inspired someone else to change the Bible, like... That's exactly the opposite of how this works. God's already inspired the scriptures they're not to be changed and and meddled with, and that's what's happening in this translation. So then you might ask, okay, well what um what are we what are we looking at as far as why is he doing this? why is he why is he even doing this? what's going on? I think that it's pretty clear He's making a sectarian translation to support this. Wagner Institute, NAR, Signs and Wonders thing. That's why you get support from Bill Johnson and Cheon and all these different guys that are part of that movement that are very questionable in their teaching, their theologies, and especially in the things they do in church and how they change churches in strange ways. Um, but also when it comes to money, that was the question, right? What about the money side of things? You know, this this passion translation comes out one book at a time very slowly, and so, when he first made the book of Psalms, you could buy that for 20 bucks. Then he makes the book of Proverbs, and you can buy that one now for t- for another $15. Song of Songs comes out, and that's $10. When, then you can get Proverbs, Psalms, and Song of Songs together for a $25 bundle. Then he, over time, adds John for 15 bucks. Then you could buy it separately. Then you can buy Matthew for 15 Then Luke, that's another 15 Luke and Acts together. Then the book of Romans is $15. Then he starts clustering books, you know. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and 2 Timothy. 15 bucks, you can get that online. 1st and 2nd Corinthians together, can you guess? $15. Revelation, $15. Then you have an eight book boxed set that has Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Matthew, Luke, Acts, John, the six six of the Pauline letters, uh, Hebrews and James for $90. You can get that big bundle. Then you have Psalms, Proverbs, the Song of Solomon and the entire New Testament, anywhere from 20 to $60 because of the different you know styles. And then, and what did he, what is he coming out with next? In November, you can buy the book of Isaiah. It's for another $15 and then it'll be what? I don't know. Genesis for another 15, 20 bucks. And then it's going to be Jeremiah for another 15, 20 bucks. And he'll just keep doing this, piecemealing out the Bible and providing himself with a really healthy living. Um, I don't know anyone else who's ever done this sort of translating where you put the Bible out one book at a time and you basically milk people for lots and lots of money. That's one of the one of the things that are going on. I was asked last time I did a stream on this topic, do I think he'll continue? And I thought he'd quit because what does he care about the Old Testament anyways? It's not really important in their movement, in my opinion. Uh, but I realized, oh, he this is this is his job security. I mean, he's just going to keep putting out books and making money off of them. That's how it seems to me, and it it makes me uh, it makes me want to cry. <laughs> the Bible is smart and very specific. It's written. In very specific ways to communicate very specific truths. And when you fiddle with that, you fiddle with truth and you fiddle with God and you, you pipe it out to people and you call it the passion translation. That's the title. It's called TPT. It's not really a translation. I don't know what to call it. Um, it's an, it's an adulteration of the text of scripture. So who would allow this past their controls? If you're in a church I'm going to take your guys' questions in just a minute. But if you're in a church and you have this being read by your pastors or promoted in in your local bookstores and things like that, there's only two options I see. One, the guy reading it or promoting it is honestly ignorant. And my thought is, why are you even teaching if you know so little about theology that you can't see the problem? Or two, they're fully aware and they like it and they want to use this to promote and pump up their own weird, additions and, and changes that they're giving to God's word. So the Passion Translation, it's it's a big problem. Um, it's a big problem. So what I'm going to do right now is, uh, AJ, you could send on all the questions over. I'm happy to take those now. I'll take your guys' questions. Hopefully I can answer any anything hanging in the air that maybe I'm not thinking to mention. Um, I'd like to be able to mention that stuff now. And while you're putting your questions in, while AJ's getting, grabbing those and sending them to me, um, I will put a link to it to in the video description as soon as the stream is over i didn't have time to do it before but there is a uh, old testament scholar um, who did a review of the passion translation that i will put in the video description his name is andrew sheed he's the head of the old testament and hebrew at moore theological college sydney and he's a member of the niv committee on bible translation so this this is his field and he knows his stuff he, he wrote an article called Burning Scripture with Passion, a review of the Psalms Passion Translation. It specifically deals with Psalms, um, and it's it's I think it's worth looking at if you want more information, um, then there you go. So, going to your questions. Going to your questions. Um, Zechariah says... Hey Mike, keep doing what you do, and please consider making a video exposing or refuting the so-called serpent seed theology, which false prophets like Jonathan Cleck keep propping up. God bless you. You know, I don't know who Jonathan Cleck is, and I have not heard of the serpent seed theology. I'll say this, I'll look in the comments for this video later, if, if there's a lot of other people that are a bit affected by this, or have heard of this, then post a comment, just say serpent seed theology in the comment section, if I you know, in the permanent video. And if I see a lot of those, then I'll consider looking into it because I've tried to just budget my time on how much time I have to look into things. Um, Juan Polgren, good to to hear from you again, Juan. It says, hey, Mike, uh, can the Passion Translation pull people from the true gospel? Can the translation stop people from being true Christians? That's a tough one. Um, It's hard to estimate exactly the impact this translation has if you read it as your sole Bible. I certainly don't want to do that. Um, I don't want to play that game. I wonder what it would do if you were to just spend all your time reading it. Is it. Does it have truly false theology about how salvation works? I noticed in Romans, it's Romans 2 translation, which is part of the, the I mean, Romans is like the strongest gospel presentation of the Bible, is in throughout the book of Romans, I think. And Romans 2 is translated um, so he added so much and changed so much in his translation that it literally changed the meaning of the passage. It doesn't even mean what it used to mean kind of thing. Um, but is, it does it, does it say like you need Jesus you need to repent and receive Christ? Like it does say those things, I think. So I'll say I tentatively don't really know for sure if it compromises the gospel in the passages where I looked at to see, um, it had not compromised the gospel, but because he twists so many things, I would feel nervous, giving it any sort of stamp of approval. Oh, it's it's okay when it comes to the gospel because I'm not sure that it is. I haven't read enough to really know. Um, from Tim G. Mike, just in case I need to explain to someone the difference, aside from the obvious NAR add-ons, how exactly does this translation differ from thought-for-thought translations like the NLT? Um, the the NLT... Okay, one of the things the Passion Translation does is what's called double and triple translation. This is where I take a word and... Um, I let's say I take a word and the word could mean um throwing, launching, um exposing or running. It, I don't say say a word has all those meanings. And I translate you know this one verse, I translate it and make it much longer and I give it all of those meanings. So now I have like extra phrases to give it extra meanings. Oh, and then he was throwing and he was launching and he also was exposing them to the truths of God. So that's one thing the Passion Translation does. Like the Amplified Bible, it double and triple translates things. Um, So that's one difference. Uh, But it also adds... Okay, the New Living Translation, it never does this. It never adds new concepts to a verse. It never just adds totally unheard of ideas that were not in the mind of the author, the reader, or in the text itself. It doesn't just add those things in as far as I know. It's it's very faithful as a... um, Somewhere between paraphrase and translate, that's like the New Living. It's, it's. I like the New Living. I think it's very faithful to the text, whereas the Passion is not. Uh, it's faithful to, the, to what Brian thinks is the leading of the Holy Spirit. And don't get me wrong, he really believes that he is being led of the Holy Spirit. I believe he's deceived, and because of that, he will be deceiving others with his work. So we, we need to uh, obviously get away from it. From Layton, hello, Mike. People around me are using the Passion to teach believers, mostly at home groups. I'm wondering what to do. Oh, dude, show them, show them my videos, uh, or or show them the article I'll link later. Um, most Christians, I think, upon finding out that the tra- the Passion is a purposely wrong translation, are gonna are gonna want to get away from it. They're gonna want to distance themselves from it and deal with that. So I say expose them to these to these things. Share the stuff. Share the content. Go and find one of the verses that I've mentioned in this video or the previous video I did. I'll put a link in the video description for that. Uh, But look at, find one or two of those verses where in a translation they do trust, whether it's the NIV or whatever, where in that translation versus the passion, it's obviously different even to an English speaker. And if you give one of those verses and hold that up and say, look at this, look at how much he's changed this verse, then that might open their eyes to see it. It's not faithful. Uh, From Ryan White says, um, Mike, can you do a video on the three uses of the law? Also, may I have your permission to use I Believe and We Will Praise in our student ministry. Thank you, brother. Um, Yeah, those are two songs I wrote. I Believe and We Will Praise are worship songs I wrote. And I give everybody in the world permission to use all of my songs for the glory of God. Um, If you're using it to make a bunch of money, um, I'm not even sure if I actually care (laughs) about that either. But, But absolutely do give permission. I do give permission for you to use them just to serve the Lord um, and things like that. Um, the three uses of the law. Are you talking about moral, civil, and ceremonial? Um, that would be worth a video, but I will say this. I've dealt with a lot of that those issues in my uh, How to Understand the Old Testament Law 2 video series. I have a playlist on my YouTube channel that, that deals with that as well. Um, Pastor Mike, have you responded to Dr. White? Thank you for your service. God bless. Uh, George. That was George C., by the way. Hi, George. I have not responded to Dr. White. I have been so busy and will continue to be this busy until after um, the beginning of next month. So I'm about to do a debate on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to me, this is kind of important. And I'm spending a great deal of time preparing for this. It'll be on a secular or an atheist YouTube channel that I'll be doing this debate. And I'm not gonna point you to their channel just yet. Their channel is full of a bunch of terrible stuff. And so I'm not really looking to draw people towards them. But but I'm looking forward to the chance to defend the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm doing tons of research. I don't have the time yet. But what I'm going to do, I think, is uh, patiently listen to, look at, and consider the things that Dr. White said. And also I'll read uh, Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther, which he asked me to do. And then I'll get back to that. So if anybody doesn't know, this is because I did a video on Calvinism and then Dr. James White responded to that video in a spirit of brotherhood, which I very much appreciate. And so I... I'm looking into that (laughs) when I have time, it's going to be a ways out though. So I appreciate your guys' patience. I realize in the online world, we all want it to happen really fast, but stuff, I often do things that take quite a while because I want to do them well. So, um, from Chara Harris, um, what about the CEB common English Bible? Oh, I don't know about that translation. I haven't looked into it. CEB. So I'm, I'm afraid I couldn't give you any information on that. Um, from Ryan White, um, can you do a video? Oh, I, I guess I already read that one. Um, yes. Okay. So from Nick Kinsman, I have a question, Mike. Thank you for your amazing ministry. Well, thank you, Nick. That's a that's a blessing to hear and and uh, awesome. Good stuff to hear. Um, it has blessed my life. Can you please do more videos on witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses? A little off topic, but thank you very much. I, I don't know how many more videos I'll do on that. I think as things arise, I might consider it, but I'll say this. Go on to my YouTube channel, and in case you haven't seen it, I have several videos on this topic. And it's and there's a playlist. If you look under playlists, you have to go to my YouTube channel, click on playlists. There's one called Help for Jehovah's Witnesses, and that is all those videos together where I've dealt with that. Or you can go to the website, BibleThinker.org, and just type the term like Jehovah or Jehovah's Witnesses, and it should pop up a bunch of stuff as well. Um, from Catherine Bars. Hey, Mike, my church uses the Passion Translation and I want to leave. How should I leave? I'm very nervous to, um, how should I do this? Um, Catherine, I'm going to encourage you with a couple things. First off, I, I don't want to affirm that you should leave your church. If my church was using the Passion, I wouldn't immediately leave. I, I, now, maybe you should, and there's, I know, a ton more information, lots more going on. So, but let me just say this. I would be very, very slow to leave a fellowship of people very slow in prayer, very much getting counsel, very much praying and praying and praying and looking for wisdom from God. If you if you do have to leave a church, I recommend you do it. If the church is not into terrible heresies, I recommend you do it quietly and lovingly and graciously. And if they're in terrible heresies, I, may, I recommend you do it loudly and taking as many people with you as you can. Not angrily, but I mean loud. Like you're going to get that information out to, you're trying to save those people from the things that are being taught. I obviously don't know the situation in your fellowship, and I pray that God gives you wisdom, Catherine. Um, let's just pray for Catherine right now, uh, Father God. We just lift up Catherine and pray that you'd give her great wisdom, patience, insight, and discernment in how to handle the situation. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, uh, from Judah Matthews, Mike. Do you think it's factually incorrect to call the Passion Translation a Bible? Um, I think it's definitely factually incorrect to call it a translation. I I call it that because that's literally its official title, (laughs) Passion Translation, and it claims on the website, oh, it's a a legit translation, it's fit for careful study, that's what they say, not true. Um, Is it a Bible? What do you call, I don't even, what do you call something when it's a purposely twisted, I mean, is the New World Translation, is that a Bible? Sort of, it's sort of the Bible, I guess it's sort of the Bible. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Not something I want to read. Um, From Dimos Z. Hi, Mike. I was in a friendly debate with a Catholic over the idea that Rome has authority and mentioned the meeting in Rome in the second century as their proof. Can you elaborate on that? There's multiple councils in church history. A meeting in Rome in the second century doesn't immediately ring a bell to me at all. Um, um, The Council of Nicaea jumps to mind. That was in the fourth century. Um, I do have a video, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to give you guys good answers, and the truth is, I've dealt with a lot of stuff on my channel that is meant to just help you, that just, just to bless you and answer tough questions, but I have a playlist on Catholicism, so if you go to that playlist section on my site, or on my uh, YouTube channel, or if you go to BibleThinker.org, there's a, there's, a, there's a button there, that says Catholicism, and I deal with specifically the Roman Church authority claims, because that to me is absolutely important, um, so I deal with that. I'll direct you towards that. Um, what counsel are you referring to? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. Off the top of my head. It's been a while since I looked into that stuff. And Israel Silva has a question. Um, it says, The new apostolic movement has been present for around 12 years now in South America. Since there is no such translation in Spanish, how can we prepare for these things? There's no... Oh, there's no passion translation in Spanish. Well, there probably will be. Um, how can you prepare for this stuff? Well... Israel, I don't know what influence you can have about the people around you, but I'll, I'll caution us with a couple things. One thing is this, is while I'm dealing with here what you might consider to be like a discernment ministry type issue, this Passion Translation, I'm concerned with making my whole ministry about pointing out error in other ministries. And so I don't do that, right? Every For every video I put out where I'm dealing with something wrong, <laughs> I'm putting out at least one or more videos where I'm just doing Bible teaching and good theology stuff, right? So I encourage you in the same thing, Israel, just to consider that don't let your focus be only in exposing error because it will it will possibly harm you. It tends to it tends to turn us in a strange direction. Let it also be just about championing truth and you can you can impact the world. Just grab the people around you who you can affect, impact and affect them. If the passion translation hasn't touched the people around you, don't even worry about it. Don't worry about it um if you see it coming you've already got a resource and you can already be the expert on it for those around you because of the things you know you could take my content and reproduce it in a spanish video um and give it to them if you want um or make subtitles or something do something to just you know make a difference there but um but yeah this this new apostolic movement i don't what's up with this guys like like We've got to test all things with the scripture and this movement is, there's something wrong. There's lots of things that are wrong with this. And it's sad because there's many of our brothers and sisters involved in it, but there's problems with it. Um, and finally, I got a note from Pam C. And uh, Pam says, we love you, Mike. And thank you very much. Love you too. Um, and I, I hope that this stuff has been a great blessing to you guys. This has been the, uh, the Tuesday live stream. Um, I plan on doing next Tuesday. I have an idea of what I want to do it about, but I'm not 100% sure. So I don't want to set out any false expectations out there. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's about it. So look, I can keep it under an hour today, 57 minutes, we're going going strong. Thanks again, guys, for being here. Um, I guess that's I guess that's all I have to say. So uh, I guess I have to count to three or something before I say bye. So I'll say bye and count, and hopefully it won't cut me off mid-sentence. All right, so Lord bless you guys. See you next Tuesday, every Tuesday, 5 PM Pacific Standard Time where I live, um, where we deal with theology and apologetics and hope to to graciously and even lovingly confront hard issues as well as stand up and push forward the truth of God's word because Jesus is true, Christianity is real, and that means that all this stuff really, really matters. So, Lord bless you.